Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 196 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show inspires, educates, and advises digital teams to effectively deliver better products through agile technologies. He is the author of several books, including Continuous Digital, Project Myopia, and a little book about requirements and user stories. He is also a regular speaker and the originator of Retrospective Digital Sheets, Value Poker, and time value profiles. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Alan Kelly. Thank you very much, sir, Phil. So that was pretty much a whistle-stop intro. So could you perhaps give us a little bit more of an insight into your background and what you do? Yes, well, well th- thank you for saying that, because uh, with, with that intro, um, I, I think I come across very much as a suit, as a managerial <laughs> requirements type guy. And the truth is, you know, I still consider myself a software engineer, uh, which I'm sure some people might think is a bit two-faced because no one's actually paid me to code for about 10 years. And I keep my hand in with a few systems and a bit of Python. Um, but I think, frankly, I'm out of date. Um, but I, 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 my motivation is to make life better for software engineers and to make the process of developing software and to make the software better. And I just came to a point in my career where I, fa- I realized that I was better off going and working on the non-coding side of that. So these days, I'm look, I know agile is a dirty word and we could talk about that at length. But what I, I, get, I do tends to get called agile coaching. Uh, and yeah. I see myself as a, a consultant type. I know that's another dirty word, but <laughs> I'm all about trying to make the process and the work of creating software better. And I do that by working with teams, working with companies to help them improve their processes, improve their flow, improve their technologies and all that. Yeah. So I think I mentioned in the introduction, in particular, agile technologies. So is that a focus for you? I know, as you say, it's a bit of a dirty word and a dirty subject at times. But you you look at the tools that support the agile framework, for example. Yes. And I think I always I always ask developers to remember that agile came from developers. Go and look at the agile manifesto. There are only two people on that that signature list who are not programmers. Um, they're both the originators of Scrum, by the way. <laughs> that that we could debate. Um, the origins of Agile were software developers trying to make the world better. And unfortunately, we've been so good at saying to everybody, this Agile stuff is great, that there's been a kind of um, theft of Agile by the management classes. Um, but I think if you, if you don't pay attention to the, the, the engineering aspects of it, it's never going to work particularly well. So I think I'm about creating better software and software development processes and software developers as people. And right now, I still think the best game in town is Agile and things that get labeled Agile. Yeah, they probably are. Right. Okay. Alan, can you perhaps give us a top career tip, one that the audience may not know and perhaps should? 
Yeah. Um, well, this one comes from a realization, which maybe those you are early in your career have not realized yet. But in having a career in IT, particularly having an interesting career in IT, you are taking on a lot of career risk. Actually, working in IT is a risky profession. I We'd be here a lot longer if I was to count the companies I have worked for, which have either disappeared from underneath me or have gone belly up shortly after I left. And I, I hasten to point out, I jumped just in, in knowing they were about to collapse kind of thing. They didn't collapse because I worked there. Um, and I think what I didn't realize earlier on my career is just, you know, how an interesting career means you're going to work for some companies doing interesting stuff. But they haven't found out how to make money from it or they haven't found out how to make money reliably. And your paychecks may be delayed. You you can go and get a job in a corporation, in a bank, you know, somewhere with a safe paycheck. And you may well find you're a bit frustrated. You're reading about the latest stuff and you're not going to get it. There's an upside to that. You're getting your paycheck, yep. you know, for all the trouble you take working there, there's a trade-off. If like me, you seek out the more interesting companies early in your career, you may well find that you're taking on a bit of risk. So my tip would be, unlike me, perhaps look a little bit deeper whether the company's going to be there in 12 months. Yeah. So I suppose um, companies you work for presumably have been quite innovative and disruptive. So yes, it may be you look at potentially joining a corporate company, whereas you say you've got more security and therefore a regular paycheck. But if you want to be in, um, stimulated, I suppose, maybe a more disruptive yes. and new innovative company may be the way to go. Yes. And you, you often really can't tell until you start to experience it because these, these people themselves believe they're innovative and disruptive and they, they may not realize the flaw in their plans. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Get the experience, go and do it. Just just be aware that you you might have some more interesting experiences than you expect. Yes, that's very true. Yes. Okay. Um, Alan, can you perhaps tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? This, this is really opening kimono, Phil. This is the kind of thing for, for a few years after, which I really didn't want to talk about. Right. But back when... Um, I had first declared, well, not first, but only only a few years after I declared myself an agile coach, and I was trying to get get my head around all this and help companies. I made the mistake of taking a coaching role with a bank, now a large bank, and I've since worked out that me and banks don't get on. Um, I got in there, you know, I was full of, yes, we can change the world. I can really help these guys. We can do it all. And they told me in the interview they're so committed. Um, but I very quickly concluded that a big part of the problem was the management, the way things were being run. Um, it wasn't that the coders weren't getting this. There may have been issues there, but it wasn't fundamentally the coders needed to get agile. And it wasn't really that the testers or the analysts needed to get agile. In many ways, they were prisoners of the system they were in. And um, it was my boss, my manager, and his manager, who I felt as if really needed to internalize it. And like so many people you meet, they they say to your face, we get agile, we understand it. And they get 
they understand, they generally do get some aspect of it, but they may not understand it as fully as they think. We all have blind spots, I'm sure even I do, or they may have mapped it into a traditional world. You know, you ever met one of those project managers who said, I get agile, it's just a series of mini waterfalls, you know, and my manager and my manager's manager hadn't, to my mind, internalized it, and they were still pushing too much work in progress into the system. They were still being hopelessly optimistic and saying to the teams, come on, team, let's try harder and score more points this iteration. They were still pursuing um, cheap outsourcing and things like that and, and not paying attention to the quality. You know, um, I thought, you know, these are the guys who I need to be spending time with. These are the guys I need to talk to. We need to, we need to start changing the system that people are working within. And um, I, I couldn't get their time. And it was most frustrating, you know, and it starts to be a bit of a vicious circle. You're not doing what you think needs doing. You can't get the time. You start to lose morale. You become less attractive to work with, all the rest of it. And uh, so eventually they fired me. Let's be honest. They, 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 they pushed me out. Um, if I'd had more, more guts, maybe I'd have walked out before I was pushed. But, you know, they fired me. And in the exit interview, they said, you know what? You are too needy. You needed too much management time. We wanted somebody who we could just point at and they'd go off and they'd make it happen. And it really took me a long time to work out what the lesson here was. And it wasn't about a year later, I was at a conference in Eastern Europe and I got to see a Canadian agile coach speaking. I've forgotten his name, but he said something that really made sense. He said, you know, there's a bunch of agile coaches in the world and there's a bunch of corporations who want agile coaches and the two are not necessarily compatible not all the agile coaches in the world are compatible with all the corporations and vice versa and you know almost it almost follows that the only way to really know is to try yep um and that was when it made sense. And I realized, and this, this kind of goes back to what I said a moment ago about the risk in the career. Sometimes the only way to really know is to try, which is something else we know from agile product development, but it actually comes down to our careers. You know, that bank offered me a fantastic challenge and I wanted it. And how could I, I probably couldn't have known without going there that the challenge wasn't one that I was compatible for. Sure. So presumably you're now going to avoid large corporate side banks. <laughs> I, I occasionally get lured by the banks, usually because I read the paycheck. Uh, I normally have the good sense to avoid them. That said, I am working with a financial institution at the moment, which shall remain nameless. <laughs> and although I see them making lots of mistakes, I think they're doing a damn sight better than most of the other large institutions and certainly the financial institutions I've seen inside in the last few years. So there's hope yet. Good. Okay. Um, so moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your IT career highlight or greatest success? Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually going to be cheeky here. And I, I want to tell you two small stories because a bit like I alluded to before, my, my career almost not quite breaks into two halves. There's, there's what I was doing the first more or less 10 years in my career, which was hardcore coding. I was a pretty geeky C++ developer. And I got to this point in my career where I felt as I could make the code fly, but all the problems were the way we were being set up. And that set me off a journey to where I am now, which is more of the 
the managerial and requirement side. So two stories, one from each side. Years ago, I worked on a death march project. I was, you know, my first five years at university, I worked for all these interesting companies, but they didn't work the way I was taught to do it in university. They didn't write down what they wanted. They didn't design it. They didn't code it and then test it. It was all kind of some kind of manic mess and things were changing left, right and center, you know. And I felt guilty I hadn't done it the way we should. We were taught to at university. Um, and I got to work on rail track privatization. For those of you outside the UK, that means selling the railways. <laughs> and uh, I was working on the new timetabling system and we were doing it properly. I was delighted. I got recruited in. There were architects. There was documentation. Everything was pro. And it was an even bigger mess. <laughs> and uh, oh, I could tell you a few stories there. Um, but the career highlight, out of all this mess, we somehow got something to work. And about six months after the project had wound down and I'd been let go, um, I was on another gig and I was commuting into London one day and I was commuting through my local big station, Paddington, which some of your listeners may know. is, is We're talking like 16 platforms here. And I got off the train and I looked at all these trains, particularly high-speed intercities, and I thought, every one of those trains has been through my software. Yep. Those trains would not be here today if they had not been through my software. And You know, not every time you create a program, but sometimes you get to, you know, what does Steve Jobs say about putting a ding in the world or a dint in the world? You sometimes get to work on something and you do honestly get to make a minuscule dint in the world. And my God, it was a nightmare project. I learned so much about what not to do, but seeing all these trains that were there because of some work I'd done. Yes. That was cool. Yeah, absolutely. So actually seeing yeah. sort of the realization of what you were involved in and actually how it applies. And um, yeah, the yeah. people who were involved in actually uh, being on the receiving end as, their, as your customers effectively. Yes, so much of what we do is is ephemeral. It's in the computer. You know, you see the JavaScript on or Java, the JavaScript on screen. But when do you ever get to handle it? When do you ever really see it? When do you do you touch it? You know, and just you know, you can touch a train. Yes. So, so my other story is also a bit similar. It's about you know one of those occasions where you realise you've made a difference, and this would be getting on for about ten years after that story. And this occasion, I'd gone into an organization to help them, quote, get agile. And I'd ended up running the development team. And um, it was the, the, the people the people who were the paymasters in the company, they were desperate for us to produce more software faster. And I was saying, look, we don't need more programmers. They say, hire more programmers. So we don't need more programmers. What we need is to get a better grip on what we're building. Because the programmers almost, you know, they're not, blind but almost inventing as they go along we, we need more business analysts product managers all the rest of it and they wouldn't let me hire these people and they eventually agreed if any of the programmers wanted to become a product manager they'd support it and i went around the team and most of them laughed at me and i got to one guy and i remember his face still and he said yes he said that's what i really want to do and the company was good. They paid for him to go on a training course. He came back. We started working with another product manager. He started doing it. All cool. Again, currently hits bad times. Me and other people move on. A few years go by, and I get out of the blue, I get an email from this guy. He just found me on the web. And he said, 
just once again, I want to thank you for letting me become a product manager. And he then had um, a product management job with what was then one of the cool startups in London. And he was doing what he'd want to do. And once again, it's about, you know, you saw the impact of your own work. And in that case, you saw it on a, an individual. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I'll, I'll take that to the grave with me. Yeah, I mean, that that's great if you can actually impact somebody in in their career as well in, in terms of the fact that they, as you say, they move from a, a standard development job into a project manager role. That, that's quite a change, I would have thought, as well. Yes, yeah, and, and, and you know, it, it was what he'd been looking to do, it, and he pursued that, and, you know, it was great for him. So, Adam, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? Well, it excites me. Um, so, so this is quite a pertinent question because I have an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old, and um, we have a Raspberry Pi, and I tried every opportunity to get them interested in it. It's now set up permanently in the kitchen with a keyboard and a screen, and whenever they show the slightest interest, I, I fan the flames and try and get the fire going, <laughs> and they, uh, they, they, they kind of disappoint me about half an hour later when they want to find the games. <laughs> uh, but I would love them to take up programming. Um, I mean. Partly, it's because I come from a generation of engineers, but also, you know, it is constantly we're at the frontier of stuff. And as much as we invent new technologies and new ways of doing things, we we solve one set of problems, but much more, we open up a whole new category of problems we can now address, we can now think about doing something with. Um, so the example I always come back to is XML. So back in the early 90s, my first postgraduate job, I was working at an electricity company. And a big part of my life was moving data and files between what was then the spreadsheet one two three this was before excel guys <laughs> one two three and the proprietary systems we were coding on on the pcs and the fortran systems we had running on some digital vaxes and a specialist piece of software called sas some of you may have heard of um also on the vaxes and we had to shunt data and data files between these things and a large part of my life was about data interchange formats and and i read about xml I was like, oh, my God, this will allow me to describe my data and my spreadsheets. And I can just move this stuff between them. And it was like, I need this like now. And XML, we invented it and it solved a whole category of problems we probably don't even think about now. But you know what? Nobody told me this was back, what, 93, 94. Nobody told me that within a few years we were going to be doing remote procedure calls with XML. We were going to be doing JavaScript on the wire. We were going to be doing asynchronous Java and all the rest of it. The, these things hadn't been invented, and they wouldn't have been invented if we hadn't invented XML. But we didn't invent XML to, to do Ajax and the things that have come since then. We, and the same is true about the technologies we're getting now. Yes. The, the technologies, the, the, the data crunching technologies, the AI technologies, yes, they're going to solve a whole bunch of problems. And yes, they're going to create, make some people unemployed, but they're also going to create a whole new frontier of things we haven't even thought about, problems we can start tackling in ways we can't even dream of. And at the frontier, the computers can't take over because 
it requires a certain type of innovation, a certain type of of trying stuff, which you can't program because you haven't programmed it yet. If you had programmed it, you'd be thinking of things you could do with the programs you just programmed. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. So that's why I want my kids to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Anna, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Yeah. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Sure. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Um, BBC Telesoftware, Personal Computer World. In in the 1980s, um, you used to be able to send programs into these places and they would pay to publish them. And I discovered that I could send programs to magazines and particularly BBC Telesoftware. I love the BBC for this. And they would send me money in return. Uh, as a teenager, I didn't have a Saturday job. The BBC bank called me. And it was this realization that somebody would pay me for doing something I loved. Doesn't come any better. No, it doesn't. What is the best career advice you've ever received? <sighs> you know, I think back, and if I've received any great career advice, I I can't remember it. <laughs> right. I'm sure I received some, but it didn't stick in my mind. Um, what I do remember is an experience of some friends of mine were making the move to contract working and I didn't have the confidence. And so I signed up with a small agency and they placed me at a big company. And I quickly realized the agency wasn't anything more than a glorified um, recruit, recruitment agency. They weren't a real consultancy. Yeah. And I realized they were doing what I hadn't had the guts to do. And that was the best experience I ever had. And I don't know if you'll be able to answer this one, but what is the worst career advice you've ever received? <laughs> okay. So go, I do remember this. Go back to school when I was about 16, 17, and we did a career aptitude test in school. And it recommended I become a, a, a forester, a woodsman, a man responsible for tree plantations. Well, yes, that's slightly different to what you do now. Yeah, I didn't pay any attention to my career teacher. I think you're probably right. <laughs> if you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? Uh, yes, I was thinking about this. And um, I think similar thing what I did when I was a teenager, I made money out of the BBC. I think today's equivalent is open source or that doesn't pay and the app stores if if i was at the beginning now you know i would be looking to get something into the app stores um not now i would you know hopefully i'd make some money out of it but just the experience of getting something there and being able to say to people i've got something in the, in the app stores or you know i've contributed to open source i think that gives you a credibility yeah the first couple of jobs i got um you know when i was at university and afterwards they were large because of the credibility I got from doing work for the BBC as a teenager. Right. So, yeah, having that sort of portfolio or examples of what you've done is very valuable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Uh, I, I have to face up to I'm a middle-aged man. I, I should be facing up to quite. Uh, I think right now, having spent a lot of time in um, agile consulting and jumping around between companies, I'm longing to get back to product delivery. And I think, um, and I'm also, the, the tensions between what we call agile coaching and other aspects, I, I would actually quite relish, and it, any recruiters listening to this, I would quite relish a, uh, a management um, position back at a software technology product company that was creating something really interesting. 
you know, I, I, I think that's what I would like to do next. Right. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? You know, I said right at the start that I still consider myself a software engineer. Yeah. I also consider myself something of a, a closet economist. Uh, again, you know, sometime in my teenage years, I discovered economics. And I'm weird. It just excites me. And I think that understanding of economics and business that comes from that, uh, I know it's not a soft skill. I know I should be saying a soft skill here, but actually that level of understanding of how things beyond the code works has, you know, is still immensely useful. Yeah. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Well, I do podcasts like this. I speak at conferences and I write books. And, you know, the secret of these things is the person who learns most is the person who's doing the talking, is doing the writing. And it causes me to think about the nature of things. It causes me to face up to inconsistencies in myself. And you do these things that are a bit of a challenge and you get to meet a lot of people and some fantastic people and hear about things. And that's where I draw my energy from. Yeah. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? You know, I mentioned an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so they absorb time. Um, about five years ago, my wife and I bought a house with a garden. And I have, I'm amazed myself. I've discovered a love of gardening I didn't know I had. Uh-huh. So... Um, Although now the garden's a bit tamed, you know, it's not quite so challenging. I do that. Um, and I, I still exercise uh, regularly. And, uh, you know, be between swimming, gardening, an eight-year-old, 10-year-old, I, I still dip into economics books. Um, that That's about all I have time for. Right. Okay. And, Alan, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? We all spend a lot of our time searching for that perfect balance, work-life balance, um, and I, I don't think it exists. I think, particularly being uh, an independent consultant the last few years, I live in one or two states, atrociously busy and wondering why I can't get more time or wondering where the next meal's coming from. And I think the same is true when I used to have um, permanent jobs. The, the companies were either massively exciting and um, you were uh, run off your feet or you knew the company was doomed and everyone was moping about. And I say, by all means, keep looking for the perfect balance, but don't be scared of taking some time off for yourself. I look back, there's a couple of occasions in my career where I said, you know what? I wish I'd just said, I'm going to sit out for a month or two. You know, after a month or two, I'll be bored and I'll really want something, but yeah. the, the, the perfect balance doesn't exist. You have to make time for yourself. You do. Yes. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Um, if you Google Alan Kelly, the trick is I have two L's in Alan, A-L-L-A-N, Kelly. There's, there's an, a Californian tank collector. <laughs> there's a Max guidance counselor in South London and a suit Alan Kelly, suit Taylor in Southeast um, London, and there's me. You'll work out which one's me. <laughs> um, so I have, I have a website, and on the website is a blog, and you can subscribe to the blog. Um, on Twitter, I'm just Alan Kelly Net. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, if, if you Google around, look, I own the domain alankelly.net. You can work out everything else. 
Alan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest's career tips, advice and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. You'll get to engage with other like-minded people, get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes, and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.